Hi friends, welcome to Why We Care. I'm your host Tiffen and I started this podcast because I realized that when you ask people how they can help the planet, most will see things like fly less or cycle instead of drive. But not many will see things like let leaves in your garden rot to help the soil or buy regenerative instead of conventional cotton. Most people know how to reduce their carbon footprints, but few know how to directly help protect nature and biodiversity. So together in this podcast, we'll explore our relationship with the natural world and learn how we can take better care of Mother Earth in our everyday lives. In today's episode, I'm chatting with my friend Juliette Russell, who is currently Head of Sustainability at Stella McCartney. I'll let her introduce herself properly, but I'm super excited to share this conversation with you today. I met Juliette a few years ago when we were both working at Pengaya, and ever since, I've been learning so much from her on the impact of fashion on the planet and how we can work towards a less harmful approach to how we produce and consume fashion. We spoke about fashion's impact on nature, material innovation, and the hope she finds in regenerative agriculture as a solution to both the climate and biodiversity loss crisis. We also touched on how she manages to connect with nature while living in central London and what she does to keep her climate anxiety at bay. This was actually the first episode I ever recorded, so I do apologize in advance for all the ums and slight mumbling. <laughs> Launching a podcast is quite nerve-wracking, but I'm determined to get better at this and I hope you'll forgive me for sounding a bit nervous at times. Hope you'll enjoy the conversation. Thank you so much for caring and sending you lots of love. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Can you start by telling me um, a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah, of course. So I currently work at Stella McCartney. I'm head of sustainability there, which covers everything you can imagine from looking at, you know, the business model approaches to sourcing of our products and looking at innovation, as well as thinking about how operationally our business functions. Um, so think about energy and transportation, logistics, all of that as well. So it's a, a big a big scope of work. But before this, I have always worked in sustainability, but worked in various different industries. So also in smart cities and ESG reporting, but always wanted to end up, well, for at least the last 10 years in the fashion industry and working at the forefront of innovation, sustainability and fashion, where it all comes together. So yeah, super happy to be where I am now. Amazing and well, congratulations on uh, such a great career so far. Can you maybe explain the different ways in which the fashion industry impacts nature and maybe be give a few examples of how this can be prevented or reversed? Yes, wow. So the fashion industry, first of all, is, as I know we're both very aware, a massively yeah. <laughs> impactful industry and yes, when we say impact, we don't just mean typically carbon, for example, we mean you know, on every scope from numerous environmental levels, soil health, um, biodiversity broadly, mm. you know, water use, land use, all of the above, as well as carbon and as well, you know, people and social welfare around the world, as well as animals and, and those ethical levels. So there are tons of ways that this industry has a negative impact, unfortunately. And I think the easiest way to think about it with nature is where are, you know, where are the ties and links really to nature? So a huge part of that is in the raw material sourcing. Mm -hmm. So imagine yeah. you're growing your cotton or you're extracting your minerals and metals. But then also again, at the end of life, so when a product, 
well, because unfortunately we live in this linear system today, the take, make, dispose generally, when a product reaches that dispose element, the end of life, again, that's probably when it's going to be returned to nature in some way, shape or form, good or bad. Mm -hmm. So thinking about those kind of elements, I think is a really good place to start in terms of the sourcing and how you make the products ways that it I mean that we're impacting nature is as I was saying you know massively degrading soil health around the world using vast areas of land that perhaps could be used for feeding people for example instead Mm -hmm. to suit you know and provide for the consumption of the western part of the world broadly Mm -hmm. um as well as thinking about you know going on to the end of life so how do we prevent these clothes entering the environment that might end up as a pollutant in the environment? And I think there, there's a lot of scope for things like circular business models. So first of all, let's increase how long our products can live and give people access actually to repair schemes and things like that to prevent Mm -hmm. the need for new products to be made and for old products to go to waste. But then how do we capture and recirculate those materials at the true end of life? Again, instead of having to extract and continually produce, produce, produce. So things like, you know, even resale platforms, rental, leasing models, um, take back and recycling schemes, which Mm -hmm. are still far and few between in the fashion industry, I think are absolutely key to help prevent those impacts on nature that we might see. Mm -hmm. That's, yeah, super interesting. And I love what you're saying about both the kind of sourcing aspects and the end of life aspect. And I think a really good example of this is cotton, which a lot of people think of as a very uh, natural material, but actually it does have a huge impact, right? Uh, Like on the like cultivation side. Yeah, um, absolutely. Especially conventional cotton is is really not good uh, for biodiversity because of all the pesticides, the chemicals and all of that. And then also end of life, right? It's not... Is it, I'm not really sure, but it's not biodegradable, right? Or So it, is it, it depends on, I think it depends on how that material would be treated in the production part. So again, you're kind of, when you're making the products in the fashion industry, you're determining the impact that that product is going to have on the planet at that point. Mm-hmm. So if you treat it with these harmful, toxic chemicals, then no way is that going to be, you know, scientifically tested and shown as a, a, a harmlessly biodegradable fabric at the end of its life. But mm-hmm. in theory, if you have a, very raw very clean cotton that you grow and make into a t-shirt that should be biodegradable at the mm-hmm. end of its life okay it's just yeah. really depends on how you treat them mm-hmm. can i just you can yeah. get this bit out can yeah. i say something quickly about regenerative ag and go a bit off i was gonna say oh, yeah okay. i was because because yeah i was gonna say so yeah that's conventional cotton right but yeah. then is there a difference in terms of biodegradability between conventional and organic and or also regenerative cotton yeah well um, so I think you'll need the full-on lab test to show those <laughs> results, and unfortunately yeah. I don't have those, but not simply speaking about biodegradability, let's say, but in terms of impact on the planet, there's a measurable impact difference between conventional cotton, organic cotton, and regenerative cotton, as you touch mm-hmm. on, which I will talk about because, I mean, we in my role and broadly, I'm I'm so passionate about the potential with regenerative agriculture and regenerative farming for this kind of nature positive vision that we want to have both as a company and you know as people that live in the world today so i mean going from conventional to organic there's marked 
March, that word. <laughs> there's going from conventional to organic, there's significantly lower chemicals used. Um, organic won't use genetically modified crops or many, many other things. Organic tends to use less water as well. But actually, the step from organic to regenerative is so much bigger. So regenerative agriculture, regenerative farming is really about focusing on soil health at the core of everything and how farming in certain ways you know, you use crop rotations, you have cover cropping, you add diversity to the actual crops that you grow on the land to make sure that nutrients are put back into the soil. And many, many other things, they actually lead to increases in like the water retention capacity of the soil, which means that then you're much more prepared for maybe droughts and climate shocks and risks that come through. As well as that, you can actually measure the impacts on the local biodiversity from Everything from, you know, like bacteria and fungi species Mm -hmm. all the way through to the actual like nature, wildlife and insects that you see in the area around. So it has incredible potential. And finally, as well, one of the main reasons that it is talked about today is through that carbon lens where you can actually measure the 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 increases in carbon that's stored Mm -hmm. in the soil when you use these regenerative farming methods. So... The regenerative cotton as well, you know, you cannot use, to be certified, you cannot use these these toxic chemicals that conventional cotton might use. So there's many, many ways that actually, instead of just reducing the negative impact, like with organic cotton, you're actually having this net positive impact, which you can measure, which is incredible. Mm-hmm. So it's really this idea of kind of going back to a more kind of, I guess, collaborative way of, of working yeah. with nature that then has this kind of ripple effect impact on not only the soil, not only the quality of the cotton, but also um, the soil and then biodiversity, as you were saying, the insects and then the kind of local ecosystems, but then also the people, right? I guess the people who work on in in these cotton fields are less exposed to chemicals. Yeah, exactly. So it's really like a, like a, (laughs) I want to say magical solution. I don't know if that's the right (laughs) I would say that too, honestly. And I love the way that you put that. Mm. Absolutely. Some of the things that you can think about in terms of the social welfare, like you just touched on, the exposure to these chemicals can be so harmful and Mm. you know really really negatively impact people in the short and long term so that's reduced and then there there can be additional revenue streams as well because the cover cropping that you have to have with regenerative ag might bring in so maybe you're sowing like corn and maybe you're sowing other fruits and vegetables in between when you're actually growing your cotton and it brings in these additional revenue streams too Mm -hmm. yeah that's amazing wow I love that big big fan of uh, regenerative agriculture (laughs) and so that's actually a nice segue into my next question which was I know that you work with quite a lot of material innovations yeah I don't know if regenerative would qualify as a a innovation right because it's almost like going back to kind of more traditional that's a that's a yeah that's a really interesting way to put it Uh I would call it an innovative for fashion, an innovative way of working. Okay. Maybe okay. not a material innovation as such, yeah, but yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, amazing. And then are there any kind of other material innovations that you think are particularly good for nature or biodiversity and, and yeah. have this positive impact? Mm-hmm. So a few in particular. I'll touch on regenerative again really quickly because mm-hmm. I do think that is key in terms of, as I say, the kind of new way of approaching material and... Um, or raw material sourcing. So this is applicable not only to cotton, but to imagine any other virgin raw material that you are growing from the soil, really. Mm -hmm. So it could be linen, for example. It could be rubber, even. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and also you can also now tap into regeneratively farmed wool and things like that, which is in- incredible. But past that approach as well, what am I thinking? Um, what was I just about to say? Hang on. <laughs> about the... Other innovation. Innovations, yeah. <laughs> so past regenerative, on the other hand, especially what we like to do at Stella McCartney and what Stella's been very keen on since day one of her founding the company is to not use materials that actually involve an animal to die. Mm. So leathers, feathers, fur, a lot of the time, yeah. and most of the time have to, in, you know, by nature, taking an animal's skin, you have mm-hmm. to take its life as well, yeah. which is absolutely awful. And there's the immediate impact on nature, as you can imagine. But actually, it's much more than that with those industries as well, because typically you'll clear vast amounts of land to actually have those animals reared on which Mm. might have been forests or other biodiverse ecosystems before so you've immediately taken that away and brought in just essentially a monoculture even with animals as well as that you end up clearing large amounts of land to produce the feed for those animals as well Mm. which only doubles up the impact and again removing things like the trees and other elements uh, within the natural ecosystem reduces the amount of carbon that's actually being captured amongst many other problems but then also if we want to talk about leather for example you know they're typically extremely carbon intensive um animals let's mm-hmm. say cows yeah. and other animals that will be used for leather so their burps letting out methane which is roughly 25 times more potent than per molecule than a molecule of carbon on the other wow. hand is you know massively contributes to global warming and yeah. climate change and mm-hmm. then with the cutting down of the trees and the forests with it you've got a double whammy approach there because mm. you've lost the carbon sink as well plus you know losing that biodiversity in the area where you have these animals reared you've then decreased the resilience to climate shocks and all of the above too so it's just a never-ending um spiral really mm. which is terrible so not even mentioning the chemicals used in those supply chains yeah. to actually get from a raw skin through to something that you can use in a bag that doesn't rot while you're wearing it typically mm-hmm. chrome six and other really really awful chemicals for both the planet and for people that have to work with them long story short we really really focus on what we can do to not use those materials and yeah. use innovative alternatives to that so you might have seen that we've used the mycelium leather milo by bolt threads which is this incredible leather material a leather like material that um, essentially comes from mycelium the root system of mushrooms that mm-hmm. is infinitely renewable and only requires natural uh, agricultural byproducts essentially plus water and air to grow itself so they can make this and turn this incredible resource into this lovely leather-like alternative which just you know broke so many boundaries already over the last few years since then we're seeing more and more of these leather alternatives that tap into industries other industries even so industrial symbiosis where you've got grape leather alternatives that are being mm-hmm. made from waste from the the grape make the winemaking industry sorry um and you know so many more pinatex making the the pineapple leaf and pineapple stem that's not mm-hmm. the word for it but pineapple husk <laughs> uh the leather alternatives and things yeah. like that so i think particularly in that space of leather there's a massive potential to actually have this net positive impact on biodiversity and on nature if we're mm. not using the conventional animal skin materials that's yeah that's very interesting and i think it's also as you were saying before with regenerative it's it's kind of crazy that it's 
you know, a win-win situation almost, where not only you get to not kill an animal, which mm-hmm. is also something, I guess, we kind of, you know, our ancestors used to do because they had to eat, but nowadays, especially in Western countries, we don't need to kill as many yeah. animals as we do, and especially not um, to wear. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also, you have the kind of broader, again, like climate and biodiversity and all of that, so it's like this... Um, I did it's just yeah such a great solution and it's, it's kind of baffling that it's not more widely I guess used or um, yeah I agree in fashion I would say even in the last 12 months I've seen regenerative approaches massively increasing mm-hmm. within the sourcing world for the fashion industry so I do think it's on the up and a lot of brands are starting to understand the positive impacts of tapping into that mm-hmm. so let's see where we go from here really onwards and upwards mm-hmm. that's amazing and I guess well well done for all your work at Stella McCartney because you're probably I guess among the kind of brands that a lot of people look up to and kind of look at for for these mm-hmm. innovations and oh thank so, you it definitely takes really an army I can imagine <laughs> Okay, amazing. Another question I had was more specifically for um, people looking to lower their own environmental um, or like their own impact on nature. I don't know if you have any advice Mm because we touched on this um, before we started recording, but we, a lot of people know exactly what to do to lower their carbon footprint. So things like flying less, driving less, but then it gets a bit more tricky, I guess, when you want to directly impact nature and biodiversity. So is, is there anything specifically that you would recommend doing or that you do in your every, everyday life and maybe that people yeah. could start doing as well it's that is tricky as you say because the conversation we were having for everyone's reference beforehand is uh, you know we talk about carbon all the time in our day-to-day lives mm. on the news whatever it might be but actually we don't have a you know a strong bond with carbon it doesn't you know necessarily trigger the thought of a carbon molecule or the atmosphere triggering you know an actual emotional response to you as a human being whereas you know thinking about nature animals um the ocean forests mountains that's known to trigger you know psychological and emotional responses inside people so how can we get people to kind of focus on that connection a bit more and and act accordingly i think there's as we know so many ways in that people can try and help from you know part of that conversation again was how you even manage if you if you're lucky enough to have a garden as part of your property Mm -hmm. like making sure you don't rake up the leaves, as you were saying, and letting them biodegrade harmlessly into nature again. But then through to what I obviously work in, in the fashion industry, how can you engage with that industry whilst not taking the creativity and everything else that it can Mm. bring away in a much more responsible way? And maybe that is through buying secondhand clothing, if you you need to buy something for certain um, occasion that you know you're going to wear multiple times try and get it secondhand instead of brand new or if you you know need something for a certain event then maybe you can look at renting instead so a new product doesn't have to be made for you and then sitting around in your wardrobe but again what I try and think is with everything that I buy I use even food for example and the idea of food waste think about all of the resources and energy and you know even personal time that people put into getting that product to you and mm-hmm. making it in the first place. So I think as soon as you kind of connect with that a bit more and with, of course, the natural systems that are required to actually get that to you as well, I think it makes you value things in your life a bit more. So the idea of me throwing away like a punnet of tomatoes just breaks mm-hmm. my heart. <laughs> I can't imagine the amount of resource that is then wasted yeah. by mm-hmm. doing that. But yeah, it's it's hard. What I, I try and do to 
to still wait is this can I talk about connecting with nature is this the right one of course yeah yeah of course 100% (laughs) so what I try to do to make sure that I'm connecting with nature whilst living in a city Mm. like London is that I'm I'm lucky enough to live on a square so whenever I have a moment normally in the morning before I start my work day I'll walk through this square which is full Mm -hmm. of trees and I try not to look at my phone and I try to look up at the trees and the leaves and the sky and just take that in and absorb it for a minute and watch the wind blow the leaves and look at the different animals and birds that we're seeing like the squirrels running through the trees or you know sometimes we have I don't even know what they're called what are they called the um sometimes we have the parakeets that are oh, flying yeah. around in our square uh-huh. in London which is uh, a typical London experience I yeah. think but um I was so surprised when I moved here I was like what is this yeah <laughs> but it's, you exactly. come here as well sometimes it's really nice I love that but yeah and you know just really trying to disconnect from technology and, and the concrete walls that surround us in London but I think the other thing for me again is really I personally find that my experience of traveling throughout my life and visiting different parts of the world has helped me significantly connect with nature and really value the the kind of ecosystems and the wildlife that I would never see on in my day-to-day life whilst I'm living in big cities like London. So that to me is, is really valuable, um, a really valuable experience and just, I don't know, it really helps. It, it really helps me to, you know, both calm my soul being in nature and you know being in the sea for me is super important being near water even in London I'll walk down to the River Thames which is not the prettiest river you'll ever (laughs) see in the world but just being around like water and those slightly more natural elements Mm, where I can really helps Mm -hmm. yeah that's that's so interesting and I've found I've had a similar experience also obviously living in London I've just the importance of finding these little moments of, of, you know, even as you said, just looking yeah. at a tree. I'm also lucky to live um, on a street with quite a few trees and just even, yeah, looking up from your phone, looking at this tree for even just one minute. Yeah. It just reminds you of the kind of importance, the power of nature. Yeah, and the beauty um, of the world yeah, around you. We tend to forget. We're just, you know, so busy. We just like walk past really yeah. quickly to get somewhere. But actually, just taking these little moments um, to remind ourselves, I think, is, is really powerful. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. And then how do you how how do you think people can make that link between... Because I feel like there's such a disconnect. There's obviously the climate crisis is one big thing and everything is interlinked. Yeah. But then yeah. I feel like there's a disconnect between... And that was kind of the premise where I started this podcast is I think most people care, and as you were saying before as well, care about nature, care about mm-hmm. a tree being cut down, about mm-hmm. an animal dying or, um, you know, like a polar bear being, you know, isolated on this little like iceberg because the seas are yeah. melting. But at the same time, when you try to, you know, look into what you can do as an individual, a lot of it is about, as we were saying, carbon, um, you know, reducing your, your carbon footprint. Yeah. And then how, yeah, I'm struggling to really define where, but I feel like there's a missing link somewhere. Um, Do you have any, like, yeah, what are your thoughts on this? Absolutely, that's, I completely agree with what you're saying. We do, we focus on solutions, right, where, yes, we go, oh, you know, flying less will reduce Mm. your carbon footprint. Which is super important as well. I'm not saying that it's not, but it's like... Absolutely. But yeah, how, I mean, how does biodiversity come into the picture? And for me how I think about it is, well, why do we care about the climate crisis? Why Mm. do we care about the warming of our planet and the increase of 
these carbon molecules in the atmosphere and you know the reason is okay we we care about the climate crisis because actually it's affecting how humans how we our species and civilization civilization can survive how easy it is for us to live our own lives day to day as well as you know we're seeing animals we're seeing um creatures wildlife plants whatever it might be becoming extinct day in day out which is absolutely petrifying and terrifying and that is the reason that we care and we're talking about the climate crisis so really what we care about is biodiversity and the biodiversity crisis it's actually just the lens of thinking about carbon maybe as a tangible way that we can think okay how can we actually you know reduce that impact on the species around the world that we're losing because if we weren't losing if if our lives weren't impacted if we weren't Mm. losing these species that we care about would we care about the climate crisis and Mm. would we act on it yeah we we probably wouldn't be able to yeah i guess make that link as Mm -hmm. easily and it would probably be like more of a niche thing that a few scientists uh look after right absolutely and then what i think is also really interesting kind of building on that is cop you know how there is like i think it's it's kind of surprising i would say to say the least that there's cop which i think everyone heard um about especially last year was really big um in glasgow but it's um obviously all about climate change and then there's biodiversity cop which is a separate one that is a lot less i think uh, gets a lot less exposure even like in media a lot of people don't really talk you know haven't even heard of it uh, unless they work in that space and I think that's that's yeah I, I, I don't really I mean there's probably reasons why I don't know who, who decided to have two separate cups but in a way it's, it's the same issue right yeah. so it, it's kind of surprising that it's that it's kept so separate absolutely I yeah I completely agree and don't have the answers for that either <laughs> but it, it kind of yeah it defines a bit more that yeah the fact that we should be thinking about them separately which is not necessarily mm. true or the most effective way to think about solving the problems that we see today because as we know absolutely everything is interlinked on this planet mm-hmm. you know one positive impact somewhere is going to have an impact somewhere else so mm-hmm. yeah no exactly wow well that was uh, an insightful <laughs> answer again so thank you for that <laughs> i had another question which is a bit more personal and it's um what was the moment you realized uh, you cared about the environment yeah gosh the, the most transitional moment in my life, I would say, was when I was studying my undergrad at UCL. So I studied a geography degree. It was a mix of human and physical geography, but I always favoured the kind of physical elements. So learning about, you know, everything from volcanoes through to learning about the climate crisis, which I first really dove into during my undergrad. Mm-hmm. Um, we studied past environments and the way that the planet the temperature and weather patterns and things have fluctuated over the past few million years and then you see the projections for the future over the past just in the sorry in the future you know few decades Mm -hmm. and how significantly that is going to go completely out of the charts of anything our planet has really ever seen just petrified and terrified me and I would walk home from uni I remember through Regent's Park so clearly and just feel like I was having an absolute meltdown and think this existential crisis, Mm -hmm. what can I, like learning about all of these impacts, can I really just go forward with my life and going to any, any old job that isn't trying to have and trying to reverse these problems that I'm learning about day in, day out that 
our species has put us in this problem, has mm-hmm. put us in this place, and businesses as well. You know, it's the capitalist system that we've lived in for so long now that has propelled so many of these problems that we're seeing as well. That was really where, yeah, I started to think, oh my goodness, this we're going to be gone in, in decades if things continue the way that they have recently. So that really hit home for me in terms of how much I really do care about the planet and all of its inhabitants, you know, from the biodiversity mm. that we see due to, you know, all the different types of societies and civilizations that are all being affected now based on bad decisions that we've done. Yeah. So really that's where I decided, okay, I need to turn this fear and panic into action and motivation because otherwise it's going to take me down entirely. So yeah, that's when, from that moment on, from when I graduated from my undergrad, I, I started working in sustainability and mm-hmm then went and did my master's in environmental technology, but specializing in business and the environment and how businesses can actually help to reverse the problems mm-hmm. that we see and the trend that we're seeing today. And that's where I'm so passionate about it. Uh-huh. Wow. That's, yeah, that's interesting. And I feel like it's probably, yeah, I mean, you're <laughs> my first uh, guest, but I guess probably a lot of people will have a similar trajectory because I feel like yeah. so many of us have just come like faced with that realization over the past few years and then um yeah decided that yeah we needed to do everything we could but that actually uh sparks another question which I'm going a bit off piece but do you how how do you kind of manage that you know anxiety because obviously mental health is such a big issue within the climate space as well do you have any yeah thoughts on that or any like tips or because I mean (laughs) from from what I know you you seem like (laughs) at least (laughs) you know like quite a positive happy person but I Mm -hmm. like yeah I I, I don't know do you have any yeah it it is so tricky it is and I do get days even now knowing I'm working in this space where I'm so overwhelmed by Mm. it all and just feel like even though I can see the positive impacts that I have in my role you just think I'm one person here Mm -hmm. doing what I'm doing and we need so many more people to get on board and obviously I, I give myself a little bit more of a peace of mind thinking you know, I live mostly a vegan lifestyle, mm. again, because of the impacts that I know are associated with eating other types of foods. But um, the things that I have, to, I do, for example, on the weekends, I try not to talk about these things that uh-huh. I live and work in day yeah. in, day out, because, yeah, when it becomes, when it's your job, it, it is your life. And I'm so passionate about, passionate about these things in my personal life as well it's an extension of my being in a way it yeah it just becomes even so much more emotional for example because of that so yeah I don't spend too much time you know on the weekends reading books about these problems I actually try to read things like the power of now I've been reading lately well let's say over the last year very slowly (laughs) but just you know even learning the techniques that that book teaches you about Mm -hmm. separating your worries and your thoughts and your anxieties Mm. and your panics from who you are and where you are right now as a person and learning to identify when these thoughts and feelings are overwhelming you and kind of distance yourself from them and just observe them and acknowledge why they're there and that they're there for a good reason but you don't need to have this kind of emotional and and physical response to them that can be so impactful and harmful for yourself that's definitely one of the ways and again you know as we've been saying like getting into nature Mm. going out for my morning walks in my square on my road staring up at the trees watching the wind blow the leaves like that helps to calm me and yeah being near water as I was saying any kind of water I want to be 
on it I want to be in it it just completely clears my my mind and my soul just feels cleansed with that so everywhere and anywhere I can I try to yeah to be near water and get near water which really helps me mm-hmm. and then just really leaning in I've got such an incredible support system of friends which you're of course part oh. of and <laughs> you know I gosh I couldn't cope without mm-hmm. you guys and just being able to yeah really lean on you when it's you know when it's tough and it's challenging mm-hmm. and we can have these really frank conversations about the place that we are, you know, what is happening to the world around us. And it's strangely comforting, you know, knowing that yeah. you have people who also understand and are trying to do positive things too and just give you someone, yeah, something to talk to and someone to... Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that really resonates. And I feel like mm. I do a lot of these same, same things. So things like the power of now, yeah. being in nature as well. I was reading this article the other day that it's um, actually, I think it's been proven by scientists that it does reduce does reduce your um, anxiety like in yeah. your brain uh, just being like a one hour walk in nature or something so yeah um, and then yeah support system as well I would say that for me was a big game changer when I because obviously I had kind of a period in between where I learned about the climate crisis and everything and then when I started working in a job where I was having an impact and like that moment in between was kind kind of difficult because obviously I had friends and family around but maybe no one that was so involved in that space and then just meeting you and meeting all these other people and kind of this feeling that we're in this together and yeah. that just meeting people and I think COP for that as well was a really big moment for me just being around it was yeah. actually in a lot of ways kind of problematic but also so positive just to yeah. be around so many people who were there and like trying to make change happen and who care and it's just it yeah was, yeah really hopeful and empowering as well I felt I completely agree it was so inspiring mm. we we were together at COP last year for yeah. everyone who's COP listening yeah. <laughs> COP 26 exactly mm. and just the amount of we would be at you know even just at dinner events or mm. at, at drinks but everyone in the room for the first time I've ever experienced in my life I think just everyone in every room you were in was trying to help and fight the problems that yeah. we're seeing today in some way shape or form and the ideas that were flying amongst you know within every conversation and the partnerships that we've even seen that have spun out of those conversations at COP26 mm. yeah it was and it still is super inspiring to me and yeah motivational absolutely yeah agree wow well thank you for that um, I had one last question, which was a book recommendation, but I feel like you've given one already. So maybe, um, do you have a recommendation of someone that you think I should bring on this podcast uh, to Ooh. talk about the subject? I, you don't have to. If you don't have to have give, no, I'll, 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 <laughs> do I have to give an actual person or can I say about like the psychology? Yeah, you can say like that, yeah. <laughs> That's a really great question. I would say, okay, without having a name in mind, I think it would be very interesting to speak with a psychologist to actually talk about, you know, what we've touched on in this podcast as well, the psychological impact of being in and around nature and how, you know, looking at, I've heard about, you know, studies where they look at images of animals and nature and actually just understanding a bit more about that physiological impact that, or the the physiological effects even that that can trigger in Mm. the human body yeah just by you know thinking about nature looking at a picture of nature and being in nature and I think that would be super interesting and actually maybe give people a lot of ideas as to how they can maybe deal with their eco anxieties and um just maybe feel like 
they understand a bit more about why they're why they're reacting in the way they are to the news that we might hear today mm-hmm. as well. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna look for a, <laughs> a psychologist. If you're a psychologist <laughs> and you're listening, <laughs> email me. <laughs> I'll be listening to it. <laughs> amazing. Well, thank you so much, Julia. It was a super yeah. a, amazing conversation. I feel like we've had bits of this conversation over the years but I'm so happy (laughs) we managed to record it and hopefully that will be um, helpful or inspiring for other people as well so thank you so much for your time of course thank you so much for having me honestly and I can't wait to learn from all of the other guests that you have on this podcast (laughs) as well so it's absolutely an informative experience for me as well thank you well see you soon thanks bye listeners i hope you enjoyed the conversation don't forget to check out the show notes for more information from juliet resources for you to explore and ways you can take action you can also follow us on instagram at why we care podcast for all updates more stories and ways for you to take action and if you want to help the podcast i would be super grateful if you could also leave a little review on apple Podcasts or share it with a friend who you think might like it Thank you so, so much in advance and see you next week. Thank you for caring and sending you lots of love.